as we think about this chapter, of course, we're encouraged to think about good things in general as Christians, but there are a lot of good things going on in this chapter concerning how God wants his children to look, how he wants us to behave toward each other. A lot is said about the older brethren and sisters uh, in relation to the younger. And uh, I want to focus on just a couple of verses in verse 9. Verse 9 of Titus 2. Paul writes, Exhort bond servants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. I really want to talk about that concept this morning. That phrase kind of stands out to me, adorning the doctrine. What does that mean? I know in the context, we've got, who's, who are we talking about here? We're talking about slaves. We're talking about bond servants, and of course, slavery was something that was a normal thing in the first century. And the proper application of this, at least part of it, has to do with uh, who we work for today, right? The sense where if I'm going to be working for someone, I'm going to have the right kind of attitude. I'm going to be working, as Paul says other, uh, elsewhere, I'm going to be working for them as if I'm working for the Lord. And I'm going to put a, uh, impeti- a, a, an importance to that relationship. But it's interesting that he says this because all of these things that these bond servants are to be doing, to be obedient, well-pleasing, not answering back, not, uh, not robbing, not taking from them, showing good fidelity, being honest, being straightforward with them. What's the reason that they're doing all of these things? Are they doing these things so that their employer thinks well of them? May, hey, maybe they'll get a promotion. Maybe they'll get a bigger pay, a bigger salary. Maybe they'll have an easy time at work. I mean, really, when you think about it, the Christian, uh, if he's properly acting, he's going to be the best employee a person could ever have. But that's not the reason, right? The reason is so that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. How can we save the lost? I know we don't save the lost, but there's the sense where we see every day People out there who are lost, people out there who don't know the truth, people out there maybe who have uh, been obedient to the truth before but have fallen away. We need to have as much interest in them, of course, as those who have never obeyed. But we have in our society a lack of evangelistic outreach and almost distaste to the idea of evangelism. And when we see that, when we see that in, in, in our lives, it can depress us, it can bring us down. And especially in our community, we can see a lack of interest in the Word of God. We'll see souls who need the gospel, and we wonder how we can effectively bring it to them. In our society, in our time, most of the problem seems to be, at least to me, that there are too many people out there who think that they've already got the relationship that they need, right? They think that they've got already have. They've got this place with God. And uh, you talk to someone, uh, uh, this is one of my pet peeves, you talk to someone about studying the Bible. And do you like to go to Bible studies? you like to study the Bible? And they say, oh, I go to X church. I'm saying, that's not the question I asked you. (laughs) I didn't ask what church you worship at. I asked you if you like to study the Bible. And uh, some, of course, don't have the appetite, do they? 
We want to go to a church for us to be taken care of. And of course, we recognize some will simply refuse to be saved according to their words and actions. Think about this. All the people that Jesus talked to, was he able to save them? All the people that Peter talked to, all the people that Paul talked to? We have to come to a point of realization and a realistic outlook that not everyone we talk to is going to be properly influenced by the gospel. And what does that mean? Does that mean we just give up? Don't say anything? Teach by example. That's what some people say. Just let your life be your teaching. Let your life be your evangelism. And you know what? I agree with that. And that's partially what we're talking about today. And we know that we have to say something at some point. But let's recognize something. If someone is saved, you know, God hasn't given us an impossible task in that. But if someone is saved, what are they going to be saved by? They're not going to be saved by anything I say, particularly. They're not going to be saved by how nice I am. They're not going to be saved if I don't offend them. That's not what saves them. We're saved by the gospel. Romans 1.16, God calls the gospel the power of God to salvation. In Luke 8.11, Jesus tells us the word is seed. Why is it seed? Because that word is implanting the seed of the gospel within us. That's what it's meant to do. We also recognize that, in, for example, in 1 Corinthians 1.22, some people aren't going to be saved because they're not looking for the right things. They're looking for a different thing. They're looking for a different thing other than what God supplies. In fact, uh, Paul says there that the Jews seek a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. Well, God had given plenty of signs, and God has abundant wisdom. But the people that Paul was talking about weren't looking for those signs. They weren't looking for that wisdom. We have to accept that we're going to have the clear majority of people that are like that. Of course, many will try methods aside from the gospel to attract people. We'll look at big buildings, recreation programs, uh, perhaps big-name entertainers or sports figures. Or maybe we want eloquent and dynamic speakers or authors. We uh, We want people who will sell. We want people to just fill up the pews. Do you know there are mega churches in this world that have shut their doors because they've gotten down to about three or 400 people? And they feel like our attendance is so low, we may as well just stop this? Isn't that, that blows my mind. <laughs> but you know, when you're worried all about numbers, that's, that's the only thing that matters, right? That's the only thing that, that concerns. Of course, these are not legitimate means of garnering attention to the Word of God. Why? Well, because they're not scriptural in their approach. And they get in the way of the impartation of God's truth. Look at 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2. 1 Corinthians 2, please. I know most of us, we, we, we have a good idea of where I'm going here, but let's recognize what Paul is saying here. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5. Paul says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech, of wisdom, 
declaring to you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Uh, those of you who are, have been to the Friday night studies, I think we talked about the fact that it seems to me that since Paul was well-educated, right, he studied under the feet of one of the greatest rabbis of his time, uh, spent a lot of time, uh, in fact, if you look at Tarsus and the historical aspect of that, Tarsus was a great center of learning in and of itself, and that's where he came from. And so he would have been able to use the proper kind of skill, the proper kind of oratory, uh, he could have used miracles to shower attention on himself or impress people with the, his wisdom and his level of knowledge, but he didn't. And in fact, in another place, Paul says that he counted everything that he had gained as dung for the cause of Christ. So it's not just that he didn't use it. He got to himself in the mindset that I, that is useless to me. That is worse than useless. It is offensive when it comes to preaching and teaching the gospel. You see, we've we got to think about this in, in the proper way. Uh, never sugarcoat your approach. We need to recognize as well that truth cannot compete with error with the general population. Men will never adequately seek the truth, uh, excuse me, search for truth without the urge to seek it. Think about the Super Bowl of Paul's day. The Roman Colosseum, uh, many of these things that were, were entertainment for people, uh, watching people kill each other, pitting warriors against each other, feeding slaves to hungry lions. Many people will be satisfied with that. Many people, that, they want the experience, they want the pomp, they want the, the, the procession of it. That's why, uh, for example, even in this town, you've got a church, and I've heard this around town, you've got a church that supposedly is taking a lot of people from the denominations in this town. It's just down the road there. I won't name it. You can look it up. <laughs> and I'm hearing people from denominations in this town complain about the fact that all the members are going there. And they're talking about how all they want is a show. They just want the entertainment. They just want the fluff. And I'm thinking, what have you been doing? <laughs> the, the problem is that these other churches, these denominations, they want the pomp and the circumstance, but they want it on their own terms. They don't want it on God's terms. And so they see people going to places like that and they're saying well they just don't they just don't care about about doing things the right way maybe they need to think about that and consider what is the right way because obviously what we're doing isn't working right but of course the truth works regardless of how it may look and on balance I want to uh, recommend that we consider this as well. It's very easy for us to get in the way of the gospel. Even if we don't have the big buildings, even if we don't have the entertainment, even if we don't have all that, if we're emphasizing all those right things, sometimes, sometimes we get in the way of God's work. You see, the word works in and of itself. God said in Isaiah, my word is not going to come back void. It's going to accomplish what I send it out to do. Did he say that his servants who carry the word will? No, he said the word will accomplish it. Are we properly appreciating that 
that, uh, that importance. <clears throat> we get in the way of the gospel, brothers and sisters, when we use too many examples about ourselves. When all we're talking about is this happened to me or that happened to me or that happened, we gotta we gotta go back to what the word says and use the examples that are shown in the word. Now, do we need applications? Do we need to make application? Do we need to sometimes use illustrations to make those applications? Sure. And there's nothing wrong with making those. But the Bible shows us plenty of illustrations, doesn't it? The Bible shows us plenty of examples. Why not draw from those examples as best we can? Again, I'm not saying that we can't ever talk about things that have happened to us or things like that. But, uh, but when it becomes about us, that's really the, a problem. Sometimes we may be teaching for the approval of others instead of the glory of God. Maybe we're looking for a certain brother or sister to appreciate us or, or we're looking for approval from them. That's not why we go and teach. We go and teach for the approval of God and appreciation uh, you know, again, it's not about us. It's about him and his word. We get in the way of the gospel when we pride ourselves as being right rather than know and teach that God is right. Sometimes Christians in their evangelistic outreach will say, you just need to come to church with us. You need to come to our church. And we get into this game where we begin to pit our church versus their church. So well, our church does this and our your church does that. Can we see how that gets pretty close to the pointlessness that Paul talks about getting involved in endless genealogies and things like that? We got to be talking about the word. We got to be making it clear to others that that we act individually and collectively based upon the word of God and differentiate that from what these other places are doing. Here's a big thing that I have often found myself in when we ridicule and make fun of the beliefs or positions of others or we basically ridicule others for their beliefs or positions only only an idiot would believe that I mean really seriously you look at some of the doctrines out there yeah that's uh, when we're trying to reach others we got to be careful right there's a sense where we need to be tolerant for the beliefs of others. Now, being tolerant doesn't mean that I accept what they believe and I agree with them that that's true. No. Tolerant means that I listen to others and I care about listening to them. And I care about their soul so much that I'll listen to their doctrine and get to know what they believe to the point that I can replicate it for them. And if I know the word well enough, if I'm founded on the word at that point, I can begin to tear that doctrine down. Right? But we're never attacking the person. It can't be about that. We need to be very, very careful about that. Because when, when it becomes about uh, uh, just ridiculing and making fun of things, again, we're not working through the word of God. Someone may say, well, Ezekiel made fun of Baal, didn't he? That's true. Ezekiel, you know, he's got, surely he's going to come. You know, he must be busy doing something else. You know, he's, he, he's got some humor there. But, again, can we use that as an example? I mean, what are we trying to accomplish, I guess is what I'm asking. You know, we need to make sure that we show a personal interest in others. Um, so, 
Anyway, all these things, we can get in the way of the gospel. We've got to let the word work in people's lives. Uh, if someone hungers after the truth and seeks knowledge in the word of God honestly and intently, the wonderful thing about it is nothing will stand in their way. If they're really truly looking for it, nothing will stand in their way. And yet, we're told in 1 John 2.6, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Do we live in the doctrine of Christ? Do we follow it? When it comes to understanding and practicing the truth, sometimes we're our own worst enemies. And so in seeking to tell others about Jesus, we have to be adherent to what we claim to believe. So we have to adorn the doctrine. What does that mean? It means others must see Christ in us. The terms adorn and doctrine, uh, adorn cosmeo, might jog your memory of what uh, we use that term as today. Uh, what does a woman do before she typically goes out? She uses cosmetics to uh, improve uh, the look of her face to some degree. And really what this means is to put in proper order or to garnish. And then the term doctrine, didaskaleia, is simply teaching or instruction. So how do we adorn the doctrine? Let's recognize that adorning does not mean adding or taking away from the content. When a woman's putting on makeup, she's not taking away part of her face. She's not adding necessarily more to her face. It's just a sense of almost, you could say, garnishing or sprucing it up. Some people think that adorning the doctrine means doctoring up with a bunch of things that it doesn't need. Alternatively, others think that adorning the doctrine means taking out anything that might offend the hearer. But we know that Jesus never did these things, and his apostles never did these things. They never compromised the truth of the doctrine, the truth of the teaching of God, the truth of the word, for the sake of someone else, for the hearer. In uh, Titus 2, and start in, in verse 11, and in fact, if we read on from that point, if we go back to Titus, we can see a lot about uh, the continuing thought here. So again, these bondservants, not pilfering, uh, but showing all good fidelity, they may, be, they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. He goes on, verse 11 of Titus 2, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no one despise you. Obviously, these verses apply to everyone that has been included uh, you know, in, in chapter 2. The reality about adorning the doctrine is that it means we're doing our best to live the life that God shows us as taught by his word, as taught by his doctrine. And that grace is the source of that. In verse 11, this grace has appeared, this grace brings salvation, Verse 12, this grace teaches us that there are some things we need to deny and that some things that we need to live in certain ways, soberly, righteously, and godly. And in that sense, looking for that hope, that appearing. <coughs> grace, brothers and sisters, is our foundation 
It's only by the grace of God that we have this doctrine. It's only by his mercy that we're able to be saved in him. And so to properly adorn the doctrine, we have to understand something about grace. We have to understand that God has given us this for a reason. And if we have grace chiefly in our mind concerning this, doesn't mean that grace is separated, but if we think about the grace of God, that motivates us. It helps us to know that we can talk to other people, and even if they don't get it immediately, we can have the grace that God has. Not to ignore what's wrong, not to push aside what's wrong, but to have the patience to work with others toward a certain end. Certainly we can hear and think of maybe stories that we've heard or maybe we've, we've had these things happen in our lives where we say something to somebody and it may be a year or two before they approach us about that and actually show an interest in things. Uh, those things happen, right? And we don't need to think that because we said something somebody once and maybe they didn't react well that they'll never talk to us again about it. That, that may not be so. It's an ongoing thing of putting that doctrine in our lives in proper order and showing that to others. Anyone, anyone can adorn the doctrine. You don't have to look for someone else to do this for you. In fact, you shouldn't, I would say. Particularly in this example, again, we're talking about a slave or an employee or a servant. The most important place to adorn the doctrine, however, might be the home. Look at 1 Peter 3. I don't have it up on the PowerPoint. 1 Peter 3. Now, I want to include verse 7 in this, but we don't quite have the time. But uh, I do want to read the first four verses, just because this is about wives. Let's not think this is just about wives. 1 Peter 3, 1 through 4, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. And he says in verse 7, Husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, so on and so forth. So this is a total thing. Uh, the wife is to be adorned in such a way that she is teaching or helping her husband to see something about the truth concerning God. Now again, we may not always be successful. And sometimes, even in spite of every way that we act, things may not go the way that they need to go. But we recognize as well, for example, in 1 Corinthians 7, the believing wife can help save the husband. But we know it always comes back to the fact of whether they truly want to obey or not. But even beyond the home, neighbors, friends, sons, or daughters can be led to Christ through our adorning the doctrine. So as we see this, anyone can do this. It doesn't require uh, uh, someone else to do it. Also, but it does require living a godly life. Uh, We're still in 1 Peter. Look back in chapter 2 and verse 11. 
Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God on the day of visitation. So Peter's talking about adorning the doctrine right here, making it presentable, making sure that others are seeing it in our lives. Verse 13, Therefore, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors as those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. See, bondservants, slaves of God. Right? This, this is, this is applicable to everyone. And, and the, the thing that it seems to be is that some people get wrapped up in these worldly affairs. We get wrapped up in politics. We think that all these things out there are so important when we may be missing the forest for the trees. We may think that oh, this, is, this is what life is all about. We've got to worry about who's in the presidency. We've got to worry about what's going on in the government. We've got to be worried about this or that that. We've got to make sure our focus is on God. And if our attitude is godly, we'll be pointing others to God. Uh, the attitude of an aircraft, of course, is very important. I say attitude, not altitude, because the attitude determines which direction that aircraft is going. So what are we looking at? If an aircraft wants to get higher, if we want to get higher in our spiritual consciousness, who do we need to be looking at? We need to be looking upward at God, not down on the world. Right? We're not here to save this world. We're here to serve and glorify God and be with Him and others that we can influence and encourage in those same aims. Right? That's our priority. And I want us to focus as well. Look at First uh, Peter 3. Even in persecution, even when times are bad, we can adorn the doctrine. First Peter 3:14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed, and do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. We know this is important, right? We know this is, uh, this is so central to the way that we show others Christ. You know, I mentioned earlier people saying that we just teach by example. We, you know, but that's not it, right? We know that we have to say something. For example, when someone makes a statement to us at work about, uh, you know, someone can, get, can just get a divorce. You know, no, no problem. If they don't like your, your spouse, just get a divorce. Can we see that as an opportunity where we could say something? Now, we could go so far as to be a point where we're saying things all the time, but our attitude or our own actions and our own life don't match up to that and don't, don't measure that. Are people going to listen to us then? No, they won't. But adorning the doctrine ultimately requires joy in our hearts. But no one's going to really be truly converted just because of how nice or how happy we are. In fact, many people can see through a fake smile. Uh, 
but I do want to see, uh, we don't have the time to go through these this morning, but you look at these examples throughout Acts. Uh, 247, they're joyful among each other, they're, they're, they're serving God together. Um, Acts 5:41, when they're leaving the Sanhedrin, after they've been beaten, they're joyful for the count, uh, to, to be counted worthy to suffer in the same way that Jesus suffered. Same thing in uh, Acts 16, and then, of course, Matthew 5, 16. We can be joyful in spite of a sinful world. It is important as well that we see that adorning the doctrine requires consistency. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 through 10, the statement is made, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we are found pleasing to him. There should be no part in our lives where we feel like, well, I can slack off or I can, I can hold back. I don't have to be faithful to God in this particular point. The relationships we enter into in life demand consistency to work toward God's pleasure. And if we fail to adorn the doctrine, we can become the stumbling block by which others falter. Let's uh, take a look at Matthew 18. Matthew 18 and verse 1. At that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then Jesus called the little child to him, set him in the midst of them, and said, Assuredly I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. We need a consistent and genuine love for a broken world. And if we do not possess that compassion, if we don't have that compassion on sinful people, if we don't have the heart that says... I'm going to stick it out with this person. I'm going to work and strive to try to show them the truth. We need to make sure that we have that thought. Our community, brothers and sisters, wherever we are, as has been mentioned before, we've got people from Columbus, we've got people from from West Point, people from, from the Starkville area. Wherever we are, people need to see us as people who are pure in lifestyle and in speech and in behavior, people who are good parents, people who are generous with others, people who are loving, people who are kind. This world is broken. This world is dying. This world is corrupt and decaying. But we're not if we're alive in Christ. We don't have to act that way. We don't have to be cold and cynical like the rest of the world. We don't have to be negative all the time. We have a hope that we're living for, and we have to have that mindset that God has lifted us up to something better. And this is the goal that we're striving for. And our mission is to show the world, to say, this is where we're going. This is the direction that we're going. And if you want to come too, you can. And that's the wonderful, hopeful thing about it. So this morning, if you find that maybe you're not adorning the doctrine, we want to encourage you to do so. If that change needs to happen, uh, of course the change needs to happen, but 
if that change can happen with simply a prayer during the invitation song uh, between you and the Lord, that's fine. But if you want the prayers of the saints here, we want to encourage you to reach out to us in that way. And if you need to become a Christian, we want to help you with that as well. Whatever you need, please come while we stand and sing.